The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Kids, three weeks left, man. I'm sorry. It's like three weeks till school starts, and every parent said amen. But uh, uh, I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, I'm glad you're here. Um, like Heather said, my amazingly beautiful, wonderful wife. Um, if you wouldn't mind filling out one of those cards, we're not going to show up at your door unless you got something good for dinner. Um, but um, we won't. We're, we're not into that uh, stalking people. But I don't know. But uh, we might try it. But anyway, uh, a couple of things I want to get to you in your face before we uh, get in the message. There's a lot going on at the creek, and uh, one is that our kids' card. We're trying to update our information, clean up our database a little bit. So. If, you wouldn't mind. This is this is your warm up to all the back to school forms that you're going to fill out, parents, in three weeks. So if you wouldn't mind filling this out, you can drop this. We've got a, a bin on the way out, not the trash bin, but a bin on the way out, and then our giving stations. Just put that in there so we can get the correct information for your kids. And then the back to school event you saw in the video. That's this Saturday. Um, to serve at that. You need to sign up. You got to register for that. So you can see it's at the Welcome Center. And then this week, we'll send an email out with a link to sign up. It's actually through Community Link that we're signing up for volunteering. And this is an incredible opportunity to make sure that the kids in our community go back to school well-equipped. Uh, we want every kid to have the opportunity to get the most out of their education. And so we're going to supply them. Thank you for being faithful and, and, and doing some school shopping early. I appreciate you. Um, I know the parents that... Uh, are going to come through with their kids on Saturday at TCC are going to be very appreciative that the churches uh, are being the church. And so uh, one of the things I want to talk about being the church is I've got a card here I want to share with you. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we did a barbecue and and silent auction for one of our missionary families, Mark and Liz Hathaway. And Mark is still fighting uh, very courageously through brain cancer. And um, the elders and I got to go and pray over him and anoint him and uh, spend some time with him and uh, his spirit is strong and, and they were just in awe of what our church did. And I, I'm going to read this card um, because this isn't to Heather and I, this is to the church. And so uh, here we go. Um, I know so many people helped to organize and facilitate the barbecue and auction for Mark and our family. We're so incredibly grateful to everyone who helped out and bought food and raffle items. The financial gift to us takes a huge burden off of us during this difficult time. We also have no doubt that we are being lifted up by so many in prayer. This journey hasn't been easy, but God has given us such a peace that Mark's life is in his hands. We're so thankful for such a wonderful church family. Blessings, Mark and Liz Hathaway. Thank you for being the church. Um, thank you that when people are hurting, they're not alone. And so I'm grateful um, that every one of you have been praying for Mark and Liz and, and um, keep praying for him. God's not done with them, and so he's, he's going to keep fighting. We're going to keep standing with him in that fight, and um, we're going to keep doing what God's called us to do. That's to be the church, and so um, there is suffering around us. That's a reality of our life, but he calls us as the church to engage in that and to suffer with people, to celebrate with people. We have so many that are celebrating, and so that's, that's the way it works, man. So if you got your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back table for you. If you don't own one, write your name in it. That's our gift to you. And um, if you've got a smartphone, you're, you're, you're able to use your phone in church. But what you got to do, check in on Facebook, say how awesome the pastor looks today. And then don't do that. Y'all just make me prideful. Um, but 
stop by Facebook, check in, and then go to YouVersion. It's a free app, and it's, a, it's free in whatever app store of your uh, phone of choice or wherever your loyalty lies in the electronical gadget world. Say it that way. Um, so Ephesians chapter 6. If you're new to Scripture, Ephesians is in the New Testament. The Bible's divided into Old Testament, New Testament. There's a table of contents in the front of the Bible, and that will tell you how to find the book of Ephesians. And it's in the New Testament, the big numbers of the chapters, the small numbers of the verses. So we're going to be Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 is where we're going to start. But before I get there, let me just set up this series a little bit. We're kind of ramping down our Ephesians series that we've been in. And we've been going verse by verse through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, to the Ephesian people. And we've got a new series that we're going to start in a couple weeks. And I want your help with it. Um, It's called You Asked For It. And so when we were planning this, um, I want to get your help planning this message, your feedback. So info at thecreekfw.com, submit questions that you would like us to answer from a biblical standpoint. Now, some of y'all are already plotting, I know. Your Your question may not get answered. Um, depending on what it is. But we'll take some of those. We'll put those together. And we're going to look at some of the questions we have and what does the Bible say about it? Because here's the reality. If we're not willing to go to the Bible to see what God has to say, what the character of God has to say about issues we're facing in our society, then we're going to go somewhere else to get that information. And it's not going to be good information. So you asked for it. Let's do it. Um, In the book of Ephesians, I love the book of Ephesians because Chapters 1 through 3 talks about what God has done. And, and my, my favorite verse is in Ephesians chapter 2, just 8 through 10. I love that whole section. But it's by grace we have been saved, that God has poured his grace out on us. And he saved us. We didn't work for it. It's a gift. We, we, we can't earn it. He just gives it freely to those who ask. And he says, and, and you're my workmanship, you're my masterpiece that I created in advance for my grace to work in you and my grace to work through you for the benefit of the world. And so he's called the church to be a part of this. And the church is the vehicle that God has chosen to use to change the world. And then in chapter four through six, it gets into some practical applicational truth about what it means to live in light of the grace of God shed upon our life. And so he, he pours his grace on us. He saves us by grace. That changes how we live life. See, people think Christianity is behavioral modification. Our behavior comes from the root of our character. And grace gives us a new identity. Grace transforms our character and begins to shape us into the character of Christ. And that begins to shape how we make decisions, how our thought processes go, and how our actions and behaviors are publicized to the world around us. When we're secure in our identity in Christ and his love washing over us, then we can, we can love sacrificially in our marriage. It changes how our marriages operate. It changes how we parent. It changes how we act as kids to our parents, regardless of how old we are or our parents are. It changes our work life. And then Paul's going to start ramping down this letter to the church of, of Ephesus by adding one more thing that we have to understand that is a practical part of the grace at work in our life and a practical element of the faith that we profess. And that is how to fight. And Paul's going to talk to us about this fight of grace. Let me, let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally... 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We're gonna stop there. Many of you who are familiar with this passage knows that it's gonna go on in the armor of God. We're gonna talk about that next week. Well, we have to get uh, some foundational understanding today is that we're in a fight of grace, that we have an enemy that we are going to face and we need to spend some time understanding this fight so we can engage in it. One of the things that's vital in the military uh, world is the intel, the intelligence sector, because they're feeding information about the enemy. When we hear the news over the last 15 years, we have a generation that has been raised in war. And over the last 15 years, we hear a lot on the news about our enemy, and we've got to understand some things about the enemies we face. If we don't, we're going into the fight blind. The three, there's three enemies that we, that we really face on a regular basis. The first one is the world. And I don't mean the world geographically and, you know, all the people of the world. The world is the system without God. When you go back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, God created everything and it was perfect. It was good. There was no sin. Adam and Eve sinned and therefore from that time, death entered the world. Sin reigned and death reigned. And so the system was broken at that point. And you and I are born into a system that is broken. That system is without God. That system is anti-God. Scripture tells us that before we were in Christ, before we were born again as a Christian, see, we're, we're born physically into a broken system. And we have to be reborn in Christ through his spirit so that we no longer are of the world system. We are now of the kingdom of God. And so this system that we're told in Scripture is at war with God. And then there's an internal enemy we fight. It's the flesh. And this is, that's not just our skin. That's our sin nature. That's our selfishness. That's our desire to pursue the things that are not of God. Paul talked about this in the book of Romans when he wrote the letter to the church in Rome. He, he tells us that uh, we're at war with our flesh that we seek to gratify the desires of our flesh, but we're also told that our flesh has been crucified with Christ. So when we profess Christ as our Lord and Savior, and our faith goes into his crucifixion on the cross and his resurrection when he walked out of the tomb, what Paul is saying is that our flesh, our sin nature, has been nailed to that cross with Christ. And we fight that. Every day we fight our selfishness. Every day we fight our temptations to sin. And then the third enemy is the devil. And so we've got to spend some time understanding this enemy. I mean, Paul said that we're going to have to stand strong against him and stand firm, that he's got schemes, that he's plotting against us. So let's spend some time understanding some things about our enemy. The first thing is, who is he? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's many words that are used for him in Scripture. One we call is the devil. That means accuser. 
that he stands before the throne of God accusing the children of God. Now, if you've got kids, if you've got multiple kids, you have one accuser in your, in your family. If you grew up with siblings, you understand there was an accuser in your family. Remember the road trips, the imaginary line in the middle of the back seat? You're not touching the line. You're just right on it. And then, mom! You, you know what I'm saying? You're, you do something, you're like, don't tell mom. And next thing you know, I'm telling, I'm telling, I'm telling. The devil is our accuser before the throne of God. See, we, we believe in God and his grace. We have to believe that we have an enemy, the devil, who wants to accuse us. And the Holy Spirit, we're taught in Scripture that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. So when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit's praying for us. But on the other side, you've got the devil standing in the throne room of God going, have you seen what your kids are doing? Can you believe what your kids are doing? I mean, if they act that way, there's no way, God, they love you. There's no way they're saved. There's no way you're going to want to spend eternity with them. And he's constantly accusing us and the word Satan means adversary. He's against us. He's against the things of God. He's also called a tempter, a murderer, a liar. He's compared to a lion, a serpent, an angel of light. So, so where did he come from? Satan, the devil, however you want to say it. I think of the church lady on SNL. You know, Satan? I don't know why. I'm just, some of y'all aren't old enough to know what that means. Some of y'all shouldn't know what that means, but for some reason that just keeps ringing in the back of my mind. But where, where did he come from? There's two chapters that you can write down for you to spend some time reading. It's Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. And it talks about this Lucifer, the son of the morning, that God created him, and he created him beautifully. And he created him in, in, in absolute beauty and splendor. He's a created being. One of his names was Son of the Morning. And this incredible beauty became the source of his pride, and he was cast out. His pride caused him to fall, and God cast him out of heaven. Are you seeing why God hates pride? I mean, it, here's the thing. When, when we get prideful, it's not that God just doesn't like our pride. Scripture tells us that God sets himself against the proud. See, this pride led Lucifer to pursue the throne of God, to say, I'm going to have God's throne. I am going to be like the Most High. And God said, no, mm -mm. there is no created thing that will ever rise above the creator. And he was cast down. Since he was created by God, we need to understand this. Since he's created and a created being, he is not all-knowing, he is not all-powerful, and he is not present everywhere. That is a quality that's of the character of God and no one else. So how, how does he do it? How does he create so much chaos and destruction in the world? We got to understand who's with him. That Satan leads an army of demonic creatures 
that assist in his attacks and carry out his schemes. Satan is a commander of an army. So where did this army come from? Who is this army? It's demons. It's not ghosts. It's not disembodied spirits. They are demons. And we have to get this right. The church has to understand this right doctrinally and theologically. That we don't, we don't deal with ghosts. We deal with demons. And when you deal with demons and you deal with flesh, here's the thing about our enemies. You will never disciple a demon and you will never be able to cast out flesh. So we've got to understand who we're dealing with. These demons, where'd they come from? Revelation chapter 12 gives us some insight where it suggests in verses 3 and 4 and verse 9 that these were angels that pursued the fight with Satan. These were angels that rebelled against Satan. And a third of these angels were cast down with him. So we understand that Satan is a commander of a demonic army and they do his bidding. Here's what happens with demons. They're hunting you. They're stalking you. I'm not, I'm, this, I know this isn't the feel-good message of the summer. I promise you it's going to get better. But they're watching you. I mean, talk to any hunter, and it, it, they could tell you they're good if they go out the first time and they get, they get, a, get a kill. <laughs> but that's lucky. A hunter will go and he will watch and he will study and he will see how they're moving around. I mean, even, even in the war that the United States is engaged in, we have ways of getting intelligence to watch how the uh, enemy is moving and how they're tracking. By the way, this week I got to go and see some of what it would be coming at you as an enemy of the United States of America. That's some shock and awe, baby. It was awesome. It was awesome. But the enemy is hunting you. He's stalking you. He's gathering intelligence on you. See, he can't read your mind, but what happens is how we think is how we begin to act. So he's watching our actions. All that gets reported back, and they're devising their attacks against you. So what what are the goals? What are the goals of the enemy? You know what, before I go into that, let me, let me just explain something because this is, there's some things that need to be cleared up, questions that might need to be cleared up. People ask about demons and they ask about demon possession. And this, I, this, the difference in demon possession and demon oppression, and you look at that in difference of internal versus external, and so possession would be something internal, oppression is external. Now, all of us feel oppression from the enemy, that they're pressing in and they're trying to trip us up, they're tempting and they're putting all this stuff in our way. Um, But people ask about, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And and we've seen in Scripture, um, just look at the book of Job, where Satan stands before God. So Satan is in the presence of God, because I hear people say, well, light and dark can't dwell together. This room, the lights are on, and there's some dark areas. When Jesus sent out the disciples... He said, I'm giving you authority and I want you to go and do three things. I want you to go proclaim the kingdom of God. So preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus is Lord. I want you to heal the sick. And I believe the church does those things today. I mean, we, we've seen healings. We, we prayed for Mark and we pray that, 
that the brain cancer is gone and he spends the rest of his days watching his kids grow up. We proclaim the kingdom of heaven, but there's a third thing that Jesus said. He said, cast out the demons. We've got to understand that, that the church is, in, is, is engaged in a spiritual battle and we don't really do that much. We don't deal with that. We don't like to deal with that. And so this idea of demon possession, the best way I can explain it to you, um, when Jesus said the demon possessed, that you are to cast them out, he's talking not about ownership, but about mastery. I, I own my house. Well, well, the bank owns my house, but, but say for terms of thing. I own my house. I'm not at my house right now. If I leave the front door open or if someone wants to break into my house, they can get in my house. They don't own it, but they have mastery over what's going on in my house. I mean, they can jack with my thermostats. They can, they're going to try to take my TV. They're going to go for my stuff. See, if someone's breaking in my house, they're after the, they want the destruction of my house. So here's the question that we as Christians need to understand. Where are we leaving the windows and the doors open for the enemy to gain entrance in our life? You see, if I walk out of my house and leave the front door open, that's inviting someone, hey, come on in. I left my garage door open several years ago overnight. I lost my golf clubs. Where are we in our lives leaving the doors open and the windows open for, for, for Satan's demons and his demonic army to gain entrance into our life? Now, let's, let's not just talk about the house. Where in our marriage are we leaving doors open and leaving low spots and unguarded spots in the wall for them to attack our marriage? What about our kids? How are we, how are we securing the walls around our kids? I'm not getting into preaching about movies and music and, and dancing and all that stuff. I'm just saying that a disciple is called to walk in the wisdom of God and understand that there are areas in our life that we're prone to fall and we've got to get some security around those areas. Because when we leave the door open, he's coming in. And what are his goals? Our destruction. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly, but the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. This enemy is after your absolute destruction. He wants your marriage dead. He wants your relationship dead with all your kids, all your family. He wants your kids dead. He wants everything in your life destroyed, and, and he wants your relationship with God to be destroyed. Look at what the enemy does when he starts destroying things in our life. He gets us to believe that, that God can't be loving, that God can't be good because all this suffering is happening. Well, the suffering we understand is from a system called the world that is without God and our flesh, which is very selfish and at enmity with God. And then we have an enemy that's exploiting all of those things in our life. He wants our ultimate destruction. He wants you dead. And it's not like he's this big uh, uh, red guy with the horns and the pitchfork that shows up in your life. He is wise. He is subtle. He is incredibly smart. He's a liar, but he's smart. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, it says, and no wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, that he's going to try to convince you. He's going to look tempting. The enemy knows the word of God. 
He's going to want to blind you to the truth of the word of God. Here's what you've got to understand. The enemy knows the word of God better than any of us will ever be able to. What did he say to Eve in the garden to get her to sin? Did God really say? He knows the word well enough. Remember with Jesus, he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Hey, Jesus, you're hungry, I know it. Turn these stones into bread. You can handle up on some lunch. What did, how did Jesus overcome the enemy? The word of God. The truth of the word of God. We got to know the word of God. We don't spend so much time studying our enemy as we do studying the truth. Because see, when we study the truth, when he comes at us with a lie, and very rarely it's going to be just a 180 lie. It's going to be, did God really say that? Is that really what God meant? Ultimately, the enemy wants to use our external enemy, the world, and our internal enemy, the flesh, to destroy us. He wants to get us wrapped up in this bondage. He wants to get us wrapped up in in this chaos. I mean, his weapons and his plan are strong. He has a strong army. He's after your destruction. So what can we do? Now we get to the good news. Now we get to the might of the power of God at work. So what can we do? We have to know our strength and authority comes from Jesus. <laughs> I, uh, I get a little put off when people think Jesus is this guy who sits in a field and pets sheep. That's not even cute. That's creepy. Jesus is a man among boys. I'm going to read you my favorite description of Jesus. And if you want to highlight it or write it down, my favorite is Revelation 19. Let me read to you this description of Jesus. This is John writing his prophecy called Revelation. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Those are jewels. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Remember John 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then later down in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Our Jesus is a king and a commander, and he is leading the armies. We hear this word, Lord of hosts in heaven. That's Lord of the armies. He's a fighting man. He didn't come to to earth just to pet sheep. He came to earth to fight. He came to earth on a mission. That fight happened on the cross. That fight happened in the tomb. And that victory was secured when he walked out of the tomb. And he's a fighter and he will continue fighting. Y'all gonna make me preach now. (laughs) He's won the victory. The cross proves that. But we're still fighting battles. When you read history of wars, 
after the surrender and the peace treaty's been signed, there's still battles that are being fought. Hey, the war's won, but we still got some fighting to do. And you need to understand something. We have to engage in the battle. You cannot be passive. There is no Switzerland in spiritual warfare. There is no neutral ground. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. There is no neutral ground. This idea of maybe if I just stay out of the enemy's way, he won't mess with me, that's a lie. Don't believe that. He's a bully and he is looking for anybody. It says that he is roaming around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. If we cower in a corner, he's going to find that corner and you got no fighting chance and you're going to be, you're going to be food. We have to engage in the fight. We have to engage in submitting to Jesus as our king, as our commander, letting him direct our battles. Paul said, Paul said that we wrestle. This is the idea of hand-to-hand combat, that we, we have to engage. You cannot back off of this. It's time for the church to handle up. It's time for the church to get engaged in this. And let me give you some wisdom on this. Engage in the right battles. What did Paul say we fight against? He said we fight against principalities, against powers, against rulers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let me help you with something. People are not our enemy. One of the themes and the common tactic of the enemy is this, to get the people so fighting each other that the enemy gets to go on his merry way. Let's look in our society. Look at racism. The enemy wants us to fight each other about the color of our skin, and meanwhile, the enemy is still wreaking havoc. How about it's time that we as the church, as brothers and sisters, gather up, circle up, hug up, shoulder up, whatever we got to do, and let's fight the enemy. Let's deal with the real issues. Now, I'm getting, I'm getting fired up because here's the thing. Jesus provides the victory and the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, Jesus has overcome. And so the enemy must flee at the name of Jesus. James said in chapter four, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he must flee. So in the name of God, in the authority of God, I believe that we can see some things happen in our society when the church says, hey, we're taking the fighting stance. You know what the fighting position of the church is? It's this right here. It's this right here. It's 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. Understand, 13 says when pestilence comes on your land, when there's fighting in your land, when there's famine in your land, when all hell is breaking loose in your land, then if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and repent and turn to me, then what happens? I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive them. And what will I do? I will restore their land and we will be able to stand firm in this faith that God is raising us up in. It's time for the church to fight. And it's time for us to do it in the name of Jesus. Stop fighting people. Let's start fighting the enemy. If you go back and read the story of David, when he took the bread to his brothers on the front line, and he hears Goliath shouting these insults against the nation of Israel, and David's like, that's jacked up. That's not right. I'm going to do something about this. And his older brother said, you need to go home. If David would have argued with his brother, he would have never faced his enemy. We got enemies we got to face. 
See, we, li- we like to say about David, he's your personal giant. So it's your finances. It's, it's your addiction. It's your this. No, David stood and faced an enemy against the nation of Israel. There are enemies that face our nation, and we've gotten so wrapped up in fighting people that the enemy's on his merry way, continuing his destructive path. It's time for the church to say, in the name of Jesus, racism's going to fall. It's time for the church to say, in the name of Jesus, poverty is going to fall. It's time for the church to start fighting say in the name and authority of Jesus that there are kids that need education, there are people that need health care, there are hungry people, and in the name of Jesus, that's going to fall. It's time for us to fight. Let me, let me tell you something. When you stand up against the devil, he ain't going to go down easy. But it's the power and authority of Jesus. And here's what I love about it, man. When you engage, it says... Resist him and he will flee from you. So when we say in the name of Jesus, under the power and authority that you don't have in my life and you don't have in my family's life, here's what happens. Devil, you gotta leave. And here's what he's gonna do. You can't do nothing to me. You ain't got nothing. What you got? Oh, you're gonna drop the name of Jesus on me, huh? Oh, I see this. Oh, now you're getting all spiritual and everything. You can't do nothing. You ain't got nothing on me. You don't have any power over me. What are you going to do about it? It ain't going to happen. You don't tell me what to do. Where's the enemy? He's backing away. He's in the dark. It's time for us to stand up and put the enemy in his place. We know who we fight. Next week, let's talk about how we fight and how we're equipped to fight. My question to you this morning is, what are you going to do about it? The enemy's bringing the fight to your front door. What are you going to do? The enemy's brought the fight to the church. What are we going to do about it? I'm going to stand and fight. Because I know that I don't fight for victory. I fight from it. It's already been won. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the power of God at work in our life. Thank you that there is no power in hell. There is no power above, on, or under the earth that can stand against you. And Father, I just ask you right now, I pray that you give courage in this room this morning. For some, Father, it's courage to submit to you as king and commander And realize that there's no neutral ground in this life and that we will serve one or the other. I pray that you give courage that if there's any in this room that have never submitted to you as Lord, as Savior, as King, and as Commander, that you give them the courage where they're at right now to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm asking for that sacrifice you made on the cross to cover my life. Father, I pray that you give them the courage to make that walk at the end of this service to one of our prayer team members and just say, hey, I'm getting in the fight. Let us help you. Father, for those of us in this room that are facing spiritual battles, that are facing these attacks of the enemy, I pray that you give us the courage and that you fill us with your power to stand on the authority of Jesus Christ who said all authority has been given to me. 
I'll go. So I pray that we go and we fight the right fight. That we love people, we make Jesus clear, and we kick the enemy's teeth in. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.